take our Bibles and go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And uh, remember last week we finished up chapter 2. And we saw the third and final conflict between Jesus Christ and the, the Pharisees in that chapter. And then now, as we begin to look at chapter 3, uh, Jesus has yet another run-in over an issue that's already been addressed, uh, once again over the Sabbath day, just like we saw last week. And this situation here that we are going to see really gives a, a real sense of climax to the constant am animosity between the Pharisees and Christ. Uh, and we've been moving right along. We've been uh, really going at a good speed. So uh, we're going to go ahead and start here in, in Mark chapter 3. And look at verse 1. The Bible says, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when they had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that the Bible does stand and that it is relevant in our day. And God, we know that if we come to you with open hearts this morning, that you will, uh, you'll use your word uh, to challenge us and to change us. God, I pray that you'll do that this morning. Help every heart here to be open and attentive to what you have for them, because you have something for every soul that is here this morning. I pray, God, that you'll uh, just be with me as I preach your word. Give me the right words to say. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'll just be honored and glorified in the entire service. And God, I pray that you'll help soften the hearts of those that uh, may be cold and hard against you. I pray that today, uh, anybody that's here this morning, that they would uh, turn from their sins if they have not already. And Lord, for those of us that have turned from our sins, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be Christians that stand for the truth of God. And that are looking to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray that you just use this message this morning for your honor and your glory and your holy and precious name. Amen. As we look at these six verses this morning, I just want to ask you uh, as an individual a question to just consider in your own mind. What makes you angry? What just makes your blood boil? We all have probably different things that, that cause us to be angry. Uh, if you watch the news at all, which I would not recommend it, uh, if you watch the news, though, you'll, you'll see a lot of times society, they get angry over many things. You'll see people get angry over racial injustice, police brutality, and what many would call a lack of equal rights. And as a result of that, a lot of times people will take their anger to the streets. Uh, they may protest, sometimes they riot, sometimes they have outbursts of anger because these issues cause them to go into a passionate rage. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, then uh, it could be that there are several things that go against God's word that make you angry. Maybe haters of God cause you to have righteous indignation. Maybe the killing of unborn babies makes you angry. 
Maybe government schools pushing wickedness on young people. Maybe that makes you angry. But this morning, as we look at our text, Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, we're forced to consider this question. What makes Jesus angry? What causes Christ to have righteous indignation? Now, there are many people that have this idea of a soft Jesus. It was mentioned in Sunday school this morning. The way that Hollywood and the mod- a lot of modern churches often display Jesus is a Jesus that does not get angry. They display him as a Jesus that just turns a blind eye to sin. And he's never looking to offend people. He doesn't hold people accountable to the truth. But listen, that could not be further from the truth. Because he does get angry. He does uh, hate sin. Uh, And there are certain things that make Jesus angry and that did make Jesus angry because Jesus is God and God is angry with the wicked every day. That comes from Psalms too, by the way. That's scripture. And he cannot allow evil. And he cannot allow sin to be undealt with. So what makes Jesus angry? And as we examine this question... I want you to know this morning that it could be that some of you sitting here, you make Jesus angry. It could be. Now, if you're you're saved this morning, if you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, if you've been forgiven of your sins, I do want you to know that is not the case. But if you are a follower of Christ and you have been saved, then you should know that that which makes Jesus angry should also make you angry. That which grieves Jesus should also grieve you. Now, if you should know by now, I'm, I'm not really an advocate for being mad about everything all the time. You know, there, there, are, there are some people that are just against everything. You know, they're, they're not for anything. You only know, if you know anything about them, you only know what they're against. You don't know what they're for. I don't believe that a Christian should be mad about everything under the sun and against everything under the sun. Uh, there's a lot of people that are like that. They hold on to a self-righteous attitude. They get angry about everything that's going on in the world. And they get angry at everybody else's sin. While at the same time, they have a beam bulging out of their eye called pride. But at times, church, righteous Anger is appropriate. And we learn this from Jesus uh, in our text this morning. And while Jesus had many times, well, at least a few times from Scripture, while he had some times in Scripture where he was very clearly angry, such as a time when, he, uh, when those people were turning the, the temple into a den of thieves, as he called it, and he flipped those tables because they were uh, turning the house of God uh, into a place of profit and, and stealing, Our text, though, is the only place in Scripture that explicitly tells us that he got angry while he was on earth. So let's look at verse 1 of Mark chapter 3. It says, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. Now we see Jesus doing what Jesus did every Sabbath day. He went to the synagogue. Jesus understood the importance of assembling together with other people for worship and for learning the scriptures. And while he was there, we just read that he tell, it tells us, the Bible tells us that a man with a withered hand was there with him as well. And just so you know, somebody that had a physical defect like this, they would be looked down upon like, oh man, this guy, 
He must have done something wrong. He must have sent her. His parents must have sent something's going on here. Uh, but this, this withering, though, it was not something that he was born with. It was actually due to an accident or some kind of disease. And the re- reason that we know this is because the language of this word withering is speaking to an event that happened in the past. Now, Luke, the Gospel of Luke tells us in, in his account that his withered hand was his right hand. So let's look at verse 2. It says, And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. Now, the Bible says they, again, speaking of, guess who? The Pharisees, again. What did they do? They were watching him. And this word watched, it speaks to a continuous action. So what is this telling us? This is telling us that these Pharisees, they kept on looking to see if he would commit a violation. They kept on seeing if he was going to mess up on the Sabbath day. They were, in essence, spying on Jesus. Uh, Maybe they even followed him. Maybe you could imagine them hiding behind a little bush, uh, just waiting to see if he would do something so they could jump out and say, gotcha, right? But they were really watchdogs of religious rituals. And they were probably very likely still angry that Jesus had the audacity to pick grain on a Sabbath day previously. And the Bible tells us that they they looked to find him at fault so that they could accuse him. Now, the word accuse, it means to charge publicly, likely before the Sanhedrin. And the reason that they did this is because under Mosaic law, violating the Sabbath was actually an offense that was worthy of death. And they hated Jesus so bad already that they hoped that they could catch him violating God's law in regards to the Sabbath so that they could kill him. Let's go to Numbers chapter 15 and see this. Numbers chapter chapter 15. And look at verse 32. We'll start there. Numbers 15 verse 32 And it says in Numbers 15, verse 32, And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in a ward because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord, look what it says, The Lord said to Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, what we see in that passage really seems harsh. And it was harsh. But this is an illustration of defiant sin. One pastor wrote that when it was determined that there was a premeditated violation of the Sabbath law, death was required. So what this person was doing, he did not just accidentally, oh, I forgot it was a Sabbath day. No, he defiantly went against God in rebellion. Just imagine a child, for example, okay, parents? You know, maybe you say, no, listen, Johnny, you do not do X, Y, and Z as he's about to do X, Y, and Z. And then imagine Johnny looks at you and says, I'm, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. And he does it right in front of you. That is what this man was doing. 
He was openly and defiantly going against the God of heaven. So that is why the Lord said, okay, then you can be put to death. So these Pharisees, though, they no doubt they knew the scripture, right? They, they knew what was happening. They knew that, they, uh, that this viol- a violation of a Sabbath day was worthy of death. So they were really hoping to find Jesus breaking the law of God so that they could kill him. But remember, as mentioned before, last week and probably several times, he never actually broke the scripture. He never broke the law of God, but rather the laws of men. So these Pharisees, they made many futile attempts to try to catch Jesus in sin, okay? Try to wrap your mind around that for a moment. They were trying to catch Jesus Christ, God, in sin. This was like uh, really their life mission. And imagine what, how pointless of an endeavor and life mission it would be to try to catch God himself in sin. It's impossible. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. They were looking for Jesus to break God's law. And look what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 tells us, though. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, we'll start there. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Look what it says. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Look what it says. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. Look what it says. Yet without sin. He had no sin. So Jesus, he was God, and therefore he could not sin. Again, we read the verse in Sunday school this morning. In John 10.30, the Bible says that I and my Father are one. Jesus was telling them, hey, I am God. I am And Jesus, he knew that these Pharisees were looking to once again catch him, breaking the law of God. And then in our text, he once again does just as he did in Mark chapter 2, verse 8, and he could perceive in his spirit what they were thinking because he was God. And instead of backing away from the Pharisees and not healing on the Sabbath day, he made sure everybody knew what he did. He wanted to make sure everybody saw what he was about to do. He made a very public scene as he demonstrated his authority over the Pharisees and as he clearly demonstrated his deity. Let's go back to Mark chapter 3 and see that. Look at Mark chapter 3. And look at verse 3. Now, I don't, we don't know this for sure, but it, it does seem kind of suspicious that these Pharisees, they had this man in there with a withered hand. It could be that this guy was a plant. They could have planted him there and said, hey, listen, why don't you go in there and uh, just see if he heals you because that's what they were looking for, right? So it's possible. But look what it says in verse 3. Jesus knew, knew what was going on. It says in verse 3, And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. What does that mean? That means arise into the midst. He, he wanted this man to stand before everybody. He wanted this man to be the center of attention so that everybody could see what he was about to do. He wanted this man and the miracle to be front and center. He was not going to hide what he was going to do. He wasn't going to be secretive about it. He was going to openly defy the foolishness of the Pharisees. Look at verse 4. It says, 
And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. So as this man stood before everybody in the synagogue, Jesus asked them a very simple question. He says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? Is it, is it lawful to save life or to kill? And what he was in essence asking, church, is, is it okay to do good things and help other people on the Sabbath day? That's what he was asking them. Is it okay to help people? Now Matthew 12, uh, which shows us the same event but a different writer, gives us more insight behind this question. Let's go over there to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Again, this is the same event, but just a different writer, different perspective. Gives us different details. <clears throat> and look at Matthew chapter 12. And look at verse 11. Matthew 12 verse 11, it says this. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, Will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? Look what it says. How much better then is man better than a sheep? Wherefore is it lawful to do well on the Sabbath days? So Jesus here was making a really good point that it's always right to do right. He's making the point that it's always good to do good. And he's telling us here, look, you would save your own sheep if it fell into a pit, so why wouldn't you help a man? It's as if Jesus was saying, look, if you saw your neighbor's house burning down on the Sabbath day, would you just stand there and watch it happen? If a child fell deathly ill on the Sabbath day, should a doctor refuse to treat that child because it's a Sabbath day? If you were by a lake and you saw somebody drowning, should everybody just stand there and watch? Oh, we can't, we can't jump in and save him because it's the Sabbath day. That's the point Jesus is trying to make here. We can help people on the Sabbath day is what he was saying. And Jesus, he was really going back to his statement in chapter 2. Remember when he said that the Sabbath day was made for man. The purpose of the Sabbath day was to do good. So he asked the Pharisees this question. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 3. He asked these, the Pharisees this question. And look at chapter 3 again. After he asked this question, these Pharisees did... Probably the smartest thing that they've done in this entire book so far. They kept quiet. <laughs> Look at verse 4. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And Look what it says. But they held their peace. So they were quiet. Again, very smart of them to finally do this. But the silence that's written here by these Pharisees, it carries a sense of a determined silence. This was not a silence of somebody that has nothing to say. It's not the silence of somebody that doesn't know what to say. This silence was uh, really a silence from a group of men that refused to answer. In the hardness of their heart, they refused to speak. And their silence was deafening. Their, their silence was louder than any answer they could have ever given because they knew that they were wrong, but they did not care. And as this confrontation reaches its breaking point, we find out, what made Jesus angry? Look at verse 5. And when he looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. So Jesus, he takes one sweeping glance at all those that were in the synagogue, 
And he saw every heart, he saw every soul, he saw every mind because he was God. And as he looked upon them, when he looked at the Pharisees, he looked on them with anger. And this anger comes from a Greek word that means violent passion. It means wrath. And it's the strongest of all passions. Now you can imagine, again, we've seen several situations where where Jesus dealt with these Pharisees. And you can imagine the exasperation that Jesus felt as he dealt with these people. Maybe you can think in your mind of, of somebody or some situation that has just exasperated you and caused you great toil, and you're just like, I cannot even believe that this is happening. Well, this is how Jesus felt with these Pharisees. But what made him so angry? According to the text, what made him angry was the hardness of their heart. Now this hardness, it means to cover with a thick layer of skin. It's likened to a hard callus. So this scripture is telling us that the hearts of the Pharisees were callous over. Their heart was morally and spiritually calloused. And in this one scripture, the only scripture that tells us that Jesus got angry... He did not get angry at publicans. He did not get angry at sinners. He did not get angry with a harlot. He did not get angry with non-religious people. He got angry at those that had hardened their hearts against the truth of God and that corrupted His word. He got angry at people that knew the truth of God and they just set it aside. He got angry at people that played church. He got angry with people that pretended to be concerned about the things of God when in reality they didn't care about God at all. He got angry at people that made a mockery of God and spiritual things. He got angry at people that turned the truth of God into a lie. But why did this make Jesus angry? And this is important. This made Jesus so angry in part Because he knew that the hardness of their hearts would lead them to a Christless eternity. But even worse than that, Jesus was so angry about this. Because not only would they be going to hell themselves, but they would bring many other people along with them. Matthew 23, let's go there please. Matthew 23. Look at Matthew 23, verse 13. Jesus, again, dealing with the Pharisees. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Man, this is... This is a very sobering and and thought-provoking passage. Just, Just listen to what he's saying here. Christ is saying here, 
Woe to you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. And this woe is an expression of great grief. And in our text in Mark chapter 3, Jesus is not only infuriated, but we're going to see that he's also grieved as he is here in Matthew chapter 23. Why is he grieved? Why does he say woe to these men? Because they're not going into the kingdom of heaven and neither are those that they have recruited. Many of those that they have taught have been shut off, according to Matthew chapter 23, from heaven because they believed their lies. And in verse 14 of that chapter, it tells us, along with their greed of stealing from women and along with their long and fake prayers to God, because of all these things, they are going to receive a greater damnation and a greater punishment than the average person. And in verse 15 of Matthew 23, Jesus grieves over those that the Pharisees have sought out, have scouted, and have convinced to convert to the works-based Judaism. And Jesus says, you have made those people into twice as much of a son of hell as you are. And this is such strong language. And it's a very serious condemnation. But this is why Jesus got angry at their hardened hearts. It's because they led people on the path of hell. Their hardened hearts led them to a path of hell. Now, lest you think, church, that this is no longer happening today, let me inform you it is. There are many people that have hardened their hearts against the truth of God. There are many people that have set the truth of God aside and they decide to believe lies. They decide, they decide to teach lies. There are many false prophets that have gone out into the world deceiving others and leading them into eternal separation from God. There are unfortunately many people even in churches in America today that are sitting there in church with a hardened heart against the truth and staying lost in their sins. There are many that misrepresent God and they're causing others to fall into this trap. There are many that are opposing Christ, and their only destination and those that are following them is hell. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, and look at verse 1. Second Peter 2 verse 1. It says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. And let me just stop there. There are false teachers everywhere. Look what it says. Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that, brought, that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. This damnation is means destruction. And there are many false prophets among us in our country today. And there are many that are following after their lies and their deceit, and you can guarantee that this makes Jesus very angry. Why? 
Because, listen church, nothing is more wicked than for somebody to claim to speak for God to the salvation of souls when in reality they are speaking for Satan to the damnation of souls. And many of these people, they do this because of greed. They do it for a desire of fame. They do it to be liked and popular. They don't care about the truth of God. They only care about the fame and the money. And as a result, damnation will come upon those that do that. And damnation will also come to those that follow after their lies. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. These false teachers that do not preach the truth of God, they are not men of God. They are not preachers of the truth. They are not Christian soldiers. They are actually soldiers of Satan. Look at 1 John chapter 4. Some of you, many of you should be very familiar with this passage. But look what it says. And this is a great uh, help to everybody here. And let me just stop here. Before you, before you turn on that television and, and listen to a, a preacher... Before you listen to that podcast, before you uh, turn on the radio and listen to that, that Christian motivational speaker, whatever it is, before you do that, you need to do what 1 John 4 tells us. What's it say? Try the spirits. And look what it says. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So look, before you, you know, decide to turn on that television program or radio or podcast, you need to make sure that these people are of God. You need to make sure that these people are not soldiers of Satan doing Satan's work. Look what verse 2 says. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come into the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not Jesus Christ is come into the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Now what is he saying here? Well, one of the main things that these, these people that John is addressing were attacking, they would say, well, Jesus was not really God in the flesh. He was just a phantom. Well, guess what? If he was a phantom, if he was just some, some kind of ghostly figure, then guess what? He could not die on the cross and have his blood spilled out and poured out for the redemption of sins. He couldn't. So this would make the truth of God into a lie. He says, watch out for these people. If they say that Jesus Christ is not God in the flesh, do not listen to them. They are not of God. They are of the spirit of the Antichrist. They are of Satan. Look at verse 4 says. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world. And the world heareth them, meaning really the world loves them. They love to listen to them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And there's a lot of people out there right now that are doing Satan's work. And they are soldiers of Satan. They say they speak for God when in reality they speak for the devil. And they deceive people by the millions. And I'm just going to give you some examples, so we'll have a little bit of fun with that this morning. But one example would be Joel Osteen. Now, if he's your favorite preacher, I'm sorry, but not really. <laughs> why is he, a, why is he a, a soldier of Satan? Why is he a false prophet? Well, when he was asked by Larry King several years ago, 
And listen to this. If Jews and Muslims, that literally, he said, if Jews and Muslims do not accept Christ, will they go to heaven? You know what his response was? Quote, I'm very careful about saying who would and wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. He says, I don't know if I believe they are wrong about what they believe. But I know they love God. Hold on. They don't love God. They hate God. And he lied on national television. He openly states that he is not certain about the one true way to God. He openly says that those that oppose Christ, they love God when, guess what, church? That's impossible. Jesus clearly said to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, 42, If God were your father, ye would love me. When he said in verse 44, he said, But you, you're of your father, the devil. And yet, on national television, he openly denied the truth of God and let others to be deceived, and he took part in keeping people lost in their sins, and he participated in, and he regularly participates in keeping people on the path of hell and damnation while claiming to be a preacher of God's word, and this makes Jesus very angry, and it makes Satan thrilled. And in case you are uncertain, Jesus Christ is the only way to God. This, just want to throw it out there as a bonus. It's not Muhammad, it's not Buddha, it's not good works, it's only Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's it. Another example. And again, I'm just trying to help us out here this morning. The Pope of the Catholic faith. He has stated that all religions lead to the same God. It's not true. His heart is hardened against the truth of God, and he's corrupting those that, li that listen. The leaders of the Catholic faith, they trust in rituals, observe Catholic sacraments and, and prayers and confession for forgiveness from God when that only comes through Jesus Christ. Additionally, there are many churches that have false prophets leading their congregation that look to only entertain those that are attending instead of giving them the truth of God. I could list a bunch of them for you. You got people like Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, Paula White, Joyce Myers, the list goes on and on. These people, they misrepresent God and they have hardened hearts to the truth of God. Those people, they really remind me of something that Paul Washer said. Listen to this. He said, one of the greatest distinguishing marks of a false prophet is that he will always tell you what you want to hear. He'll never rain on your parade. He will get you clapping, he will get you jumping, he will make you dizzy, he will keep you entertained, and he will present to you a Christianity that will make your church look like a six flags over Jesus Christ. And that, right there, is a lot of, of, a lot of churches in America. A lot of churches and false prophets, they fit that bill. The truth of God doesn't matter, just make me happy. Hey listen, how about we make God happy? How about we preach the truth? How about we expose sin? How about we promote holy living and preach the gospel of repentance and remission of sin? How about we preach Christ because that's the only way to salvation. That's the only way people are going to get saved. And there are many other false prophets that they write books, have their own networks and shows, and they post videos, and they write blogs, and they make money as they lead their followers away from God and directly to hell. And this is why Jesus got angry. He got angry at people like that. In fact, Jesus likened these false prophets to wolves that destroy because they're destroying the souls of men. What did he say in Matthew 7, verse 15? Beware of false prophets 
which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They destroy, they lead astray, they set people on the wrong path, and they deceive. Now, listen, some people today, you may be hearing what I'm saying, and you think, oh, this is so unloving, so judgmental. And listen, listen, you can't think that this is wrong because this is the right thing to do because answer me this. How loving would it be for me to see a wolf right behind you ready to pounce and devour you and just pretend it's not there? How loving is that? It would be unloving for me to turn a blind eye to false teachers and not preach the truth. Now look, we, don't, we, don't, we are not to dwell on false teachers. I shouldn't be getting up here every week and, and railing on them all the time. But listen, the Bible tells us they need to be marked and avoided. And all preachers and all Christians that expose the false prophets, they're in good company. The prophet Jeremiah, Elijah, the apostle John and 1 John and Paul and even Jesus himself called out false prophets and he exposed their wicked ways and it's necessary because the souls of men are at stake. And these types of people made Jesus angry. And listen to me, these types of people should make us angry too. To know that people are teaching that which is contrary to the truth of Jesus Christ should infuriate us. Those that oppose Christ must be opposed by us. We cannot coddle false teachers. We cannot make excuses for them. We cannot turn a blind eye to those that are corrupting the gospel. We cannot be okay with people that are misrepresenting God because Jesus was not okay with it and he called them out on it many times and he hated it because it, and it filled him with righteous indignation and it angered him because it set many on the wrong path. Let me ask you this morning, church, doesn't it bother you to know that people are doing that? Doesn't it bother you to know that there are cults that go door to door, knocking on people's door, trying to recruit like these Pharisees did? And giving them lies and saying, well, Jesus isn't the only way to God. That's not true. Doesn't that make you upset? It should. But I want you to understand, it should not just enrage us. As it did with Christ, it should also grieve us. Go to Mark chapter 3 again. Mark chapter 3. Look at verse 5. Again, see verse 5. It says, Mark chapter 3, verse 5. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, look what else it says, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Hey, listen, Jesus was grieved. His anger was tempered by grief as he again considered the implication of the, the Pharisees' hardened hearts. He was angry at their actions because they were leading their followers to hell, but he was also grieved because of the fact that those that follow them would end up in hell. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. But these people, they hardened their hearts against Christ, and when their heart was hardened, they could not be saved, and this grieved our Lord. And in this, we know, church, that God is not only a God of anger, but He's also a God of compassion. He's a God that desires all men to be saved. This just shows us the heart of Christ. He was angry, but He was also grieved about this. And despite... Being outraged and saddened by the hardness of their hearts, Jesus healed this man, and he again shows the authority over all men. He showed his love 
and his compassion to this man, as he no doubt, again, the, the man with the withered hand, he would have been an outcast due to his physical condition, but Jesus Christ, in his love and compassion, went right to him and healed his withered hands. And as Jesus told this man with the withered hand to just stretch out his hand, when that man just did that little act of faith, when he stretched out his right hand, he was then made whole again. Now, while the, the hardness of the Pharisees' hearts stopped them from having their sins forgiven from God, the small act of faith by this man with a withered hand, it was enough to make him whole. It was enough to restore uh, his hand as it was before. And listen closely. If you are here today and you're lost, if you would just turn to Christ and, and have that, that act of faith where you turn from your sin, you too can be made spiritually whole. You can be forgiven by God and have eternal life if you would just step out in faith and trust Him. Let's go to Romans chapter, nine, uh, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Look at Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 9. All it takes is faith to be made whole. Look what it says in verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hey listen, you can be saved today. This morning, as Jesus Christ, as he called on this man to stretch forth his hand so that he could be healed, I call on you this morning to trust in Jesus Christ so that you can be saved. Trust on Him today. And won't you allow God this morning to soften your heart so that you can be saved? Now look, for those of us that have, won't you allow God to use you to see people come to Christ? Look, think about this. There's a thought of knowing that there are people that are dying and going to hell. Does that grieve you? Do you care does it grieve you to know that that friend of yours is not saved? And let's just be honest this morning. All of us know people that are not saved. Does that bother you? That coworker, that family member, that friend, that, that buddy of yours, does it bother you that they are not saved? Does it grieve you? But let me go even further than that. Does it grieve you enough to actually do something about it? Jesus, he was compassionate. He was concerned about sinners, and so should we be. But he was so concerned about these people that needed him. He did the miracle, despite these Pharisees looking for a reason to kill him. He, he stepped out and he decided, you know what? I'm, go, I'm not just going to be grieved. I'm not just going to be angry. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to heal this man. Let's go back to Mark chapter 3 and look at verse 6. And this act of, of, of healing this man, it would get him in even more trouble with these Pharisees who had hardened their hearts against him. Look at verse 6. We already read how his hand was restored, whole as the other. 
Look at verse 6. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Luke's account, we're not going to go there, but Luke's account says of this, when this whole thing went down, when Jesus did what he did, it says that the Pharisees were filled with madness. They were about to go insane. <laughs> they could not believe that Jesus would have the audacity to do what he did and say what he said. They were enraged because they could not pour Jesus into their religious mold. And then they decided to team up with a group that was against God, that was against Israel, and that were advocates of Rome, and that is the Herodians. And this was an unholy alliance that had the intention of conquering their common enemy, Jesus Christ. And we know, if you know anything today, you know that nothing bonds enemies quicker than a common enemy. And that truth is very evident in this verse, as these Pharisees team up with these Herodians. And the coming crucifixion of Christ that would come down the road was officially in the works. And this action right here by the Pharisees, it shows us that the hardened hearts of the Pharisees, it just got even harder. As one person wrote, the same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. And you, you'd think that after seeing this miracle that was obviously of God, you would have thought that this would have caused their hearts to melt and that they would repent of their sin, but instead it just caused them to be more against Jesus and have an even harder heart against him. And this is why Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 21 that they would have been better off to have been harlots and publicans than to be uh, who they were. Because the harlots and the publicans were more likely to enter the kingdom of heaven because they would have a softened heart towards Christ. But these Pharisees, they had uh, a hardened and callous heart and they would not trust in Christ as their Savior. And just as it's easier for a camel uh, to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, so it is with these Pharisees. They had hardened their hearts. And look, if you're here this morning and you have not received Christ, stop hardening your hearts toward God. If you have continued to harden your heart, you are making Jesus angry because he knows where that's going to lead. If you uh, know the truth of God and you just set it aside, and you need to understand it leads to eternal separation from God, and that makes our Savior very angry, but it also grieves him because he doesn't want to see that happen. But since you are still here this morning, and because you still have breath, thank God there is still hope. You can still be saved. You need to allow your heart to be broken by the word of God this morning and come to this great Savior. Just trust in His grace and stop hardening your heart toward the truth of God because the longer you put it off, the worse it gets. So what makes Jesus angry? Hardened hearts. False prophets false teachers, uh, those that promote a skewed view of God. So listen, follower of Christ, if you're here this morning, does this make you angry? Does it cause you to grieve? Do you care enough to fight against the lies and stand for the truth of God? Do you care enough and are you passionate enough about the true gospel that you actually tell people about it? Hey, listen, we do not need keyboard warriors on the internet. We don't. What we need is for people in our church to be faithful Christians that are doing their part in this town to give people the gospel, in their community, in their neighborhood. People need to know the gospel of Christ because this is what's going to change the world. 
And Jesus, he was always looking for opportunities to heal and to save. And as followers of Christ, we should do the same. We should be angry about those that corrupt the gospel. We should be grieved over those that are lost and headed to a Christless eternity. But we should also be passionate enough to take part in changing that. We're really good about getting worked up about stuff, but then actually doing something about it doesn't normally happen, does it? To speak against those that uh, are spreading lies, it's not enough. To post about it isn't enough. To have uh, feelings about it is not enough. What we need to do is passionately tell people about our great Savior and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You want an easy way to do it? Grab a stack of tracks out in the entryway that says, this is the only gospel, and hand it to somebody this week. It's a great opportunity. Be a great conversation starter. But we need to pray that God would soften hearts towards him. And we need to allow God to use us where we are now to influence people with the gospel of Christ and point them to him. Hey, listen, I hope what makes Christ anger makes you angry. I hope what grieves him grieves you. And I hope and pray that those emotions lead you to make an impact as Christ looked to make an impact. Won't you allow your anger and grief to drive you to to make a difference in the coming days? Hey, look, even if it means making a difference in one soul, I want you to know it would be worth it all. It would be worth every effort, every prayer, every action, every every act of kindness, every track that you have given. Listen, it would be worth it all to see one soul come to know Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.